0: Welcome everyone. I'm your host, Angelo Santiago, and this is the We Are The Men podcast, a show that is dedicated to telling the stories of men from all over the globe. Stories of men with different backgrounds and experiences who are all connected by the single thread of a commitment to having a positive impact on the world through the actions they take in their own lives. My guest today is Nathaniel Houghton. He is a father of four, a husband, a chemical dependency counselor, and a neuro emotional coach. Nathaniel supports others as they navigate challenges with addiction, anxiety, depression, overwhelm, grief, and shame. He has 19 years of experience in overcoming his own struggles with addiction and mental health challenges that he has faced in his own life. So I wanna say thank you, Nathaniel, for coming on here, for having this conversation, for helping me and using this platform to really share important stories of, of men out there. Yeah, who are doing incredible things. So
1: thanks for being here. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here, Angela. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I want to start with, I think it's important as people are listening to this show to understand kind of what season of life you find yourself in currently. I think throughout our lives as men, you know, we go through huge moments in our life and I like to call those seasons. So just to give a a brief description, like what season of life do you find yourself in right now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and right now I feel as though I am in the season of my life where I am most in touch with my purpose, really going after where I see myself going and where I want to go. A lot of my life was more led where I needed to be and who I needed to show up for and what I needed to do, and I feel like I'm really stepping in or have been stepping in for the past few years to this part of my life where I'm asking myself, where do I want to go and where do I want to step in? And I'm seeing that come to fruition and being able to make that possible. So it's a really good place to be for me right now. Yeah,
0: sounds like it. And being in that place of purpose, you know, for men who are either craving in being in that season, or maybe they're approaching that season, what do you think is
1: important for them to know? To have some patience, at least for me and, and my own story, when I was a younger man, you know, a late, late teens, twenties, even in, into my thirties, I'm 45 now. It took a while for me to, to just to get to this place I am now. And, 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 just having that patience to know that you don't necessarily need to know what your purpose is per se or where you'll end up, but just to trust and and give it time and space and know that you'll find it not to rush yourself in, in seeking it.
0: Yeah. And so you touched in a little bit, you said you're 45 years old now. It's been a journey of really tapping into that patient. So I'd love to get into a little bit of your story as much as you feel like called to share. The questions I really love to ask and I'm curious about people is, you know, not where you are right now only, but it's like, where were you? What was your life like? What were the pivotal moments in your life and what happened, right? What happened to maybe put you on a new course, a new trajectory, a new path? What decisions did you have to make to get you there? And where are you now, which you touched on a little bit and like what season you're in right now. So give us a little bit of a, a, a feeling of, of what your life has been like to get you to this this moment in time.
1: Yeah. Angela, as you mentioned, currently I'm working as a substance abuse counselor. So I work with those um, that are just embarking on their recovery journey at a treatment center. So I see people coming in every day in a really raw state, you know, through intake, most of them coming off just using or on a bender that ends with them checking into the treatment facility. And, you know, when I say I'm more aligned with my purpose now than I've ever been, for me, being someone in recovery myself, I was addicted to uh, opiates, heroin and opiates through my late teens and into my early 20s. So being able to take my own recovery journey and my own experience and to be able to offer that and and of support to others that that's the present challenge they're navigating through, not just the addiction and that struggle, but everything else that comes along with it when you do peel those substances off. For me, it was depression, anxiety, unresolved trauma from earlier in my life, things that I had been suppressing or self-medicating. To avoid feeling uh, helping others navigate those challenges as well as they start to gain some clarity and for me some context i guess going back to how that affliction came with me and just going back to my childhood i mean there were a few things i look back to that may have contributed to me leaning towards using unhealthy coping mechanisms like substances to help me get through some things you know, in some of this work, we talk a lot about core wounds. My parents, I don't really have memories of my parents being married. They were divorced. I think I was three when my parents got divorced. So there was kind of this space, this vacuum of of having a father present in the home. When I was 10, my brother was three years older. We moved from out of state and we moved to a different state, further away from my dad, further away from my grandparents. And One of the things that happened through that transition and moving, a lot of anger came up with my brother. And so I did experience some some physical abuse as a young child. And and so I was trying to navigate my parents' divorce and moving and saying goodbye to everybody. And I had to deal with with a lot of physical abuse uh, at that young age in my life as well. So, I mean, between the, the divorce and dealing with anger, a lot of arguments in the home, The other major issue that went on for a number of years or or traumas was the medical trauma uh, associated with my mother's diabetes. She was a type one juvenile diabetic. She got diabetes when she was nine years old and her diabetes became rather brittle. Uh, And a brittle diabetic means that they would have more occasions of low blood sugar reactions like diabetic coma, she'd pass out a lot, she could be anywhere. I could come home from school and my stepdad would be at work or my brother not home yet. And I could walk in and I could find my mom on the floor, unconscious, and I'd be the one that would have to to bring her back and give her sugar and and support her. And that was an ongoing struggle for a number of years from a very young age. Seeing, you know, someone that I love very closely In essence, what felt and looked like to me, I use the analogy of like, you see the zombie movies like 28 days later and somebody goes unconscious and then the zombie comes out and it's just flailing. Like if I was lucky, she would just be unconscious. But if it was a bad day, she'd be eyes open, no one home, moaning, making noises and experiencing that over and over again through decades, really, up until my 30s. Over the years had had a real impact and not having knowing how to ask for help when I was younger, help not being available, not knowing how to express my emotions or feeling like there was someone I could talk to. You know, I turned in my late teens and early twenties to substances to, to escape, to not feel, to get some relief. And that turned into addiction for me, you know, went from starting with cannabis through the whole realm of other drugs to eventually landing with heroin as my drug of choice. But the pivotal turning point for me was had to do with love and and meeting a partner that somehow could see the things in me at the time that I couldn't see in myself. And we had, after being together for a little bit, had found out we were going to be welcoming, you know, a new life into the world. and, And I was going to become a father. And so. That period of feeling devoid of purpose and caught in, in the cycle of my addiction and coping with with trauma and and feelings or trying not to feel all changed when it when I had the motivation of knowing that somebody else was coming into the picture. That was the big shift. It was future fatherhood. and that was the motivation I needed to get back on track and really write the course of, of the ship that was my life that was headed for disaster at that point.
0: Yeah, fatherhood will will certainly you know, yeah. get you on the fast track to making a decision, right? Whether it is a decision that takes you down the path that takes you to where you are today or for a lot of men, sometimes that's a huge struggle and the decision they make, you know, has huge impacts on not only their own life, but the life of this incoming child, the life of the partner, so many things. So yeah, it's it's beautiful that I can relate to your story of like, yeah, once I became a dad, everything shifted. And so that was your first of four?
1: Yeah, that was my first of four. And yeah, when we found out, uh, it's my son, William. And when we found out Will was coming, one of the big changes that happened was I asked for help. I asked for help when, and that was huge. You know, for a long time, I carried shame and guilt. i had been beating myself up and just really stuck in that victim role. I hadn't really reached out for help. And I did at that point. I asked my mom and my dad, I called them up and kind of lifted that veil of all the bullshit they didn't know about what was going on in my life and the hiding and just let it all out. And and really that was the other big pivotal part was reaching out for support when I knew I needed it and I couldn't do it on my own. And they both showed up uniquely in their different ways and support for me. And neither of them really left my side in, in so many different ways. So that was, that was critical. Knowing I needed help and the courage to ask for it I wouldn't be here if if that moment didn't happen.
0: Yeah. That courage to ask for it, what you touched on there. That's the thing, which for, for so many can be extremely challenging. It's like, how, how can I say out loud to somebody else, the, the reality that I've been maybe living in secrecy and hiding from others and hiding from myself, like, how do I build up the courage to actually ask for that support? And so in in your story for you, like, was there anything particular that like, you're like, you know what, it's now or never, like I'm ready to do it. What made the shift from like, maybe I can figure this out on my own to no, you know what, I need to call and support.
1: Yeah, it's a great, a great question. And there was a very specific moment. And that moment in my use and in my substance abuse and in my heroin addiction, I guess, maybe Maybe the last four months of my addiction was IV drug use and got to the point where I was I was shooting heroin and occasionally cocaine and heroin. And I went to the emergency room. I had to get my friend, quote unquote, which was my roommate I was using with to drive me to the hospital and drop me off at the front door because I was pretty sure I was dying. And that was a big wake up call for me that I was in the ER walking in there and my friend had just dropped me off in my car and then drove away and i walked in and had to go to the counter and tell them i was overdosed on cocaine and heroin and they got me back to see the doctors and that was a big shift i knew i was going to die if it didn't change after that and i didn't want to die so i had to make a choice
0: beautiful so let's talk about now i mean you talked a little bit about the season of life you're currently in but clearly from that moment that you made the choice you went through a journey to sobriety, a journey to kick all these habits that these numbing tactics, these coping mechanisms, all these things that you, you mentioned, you know, the shame and even what you work with people on, not only the addiction, but depression, overwhelm, grief. In your story, what happened? It did, Not the details of like every single step you took, but when that shift occurred, we we're like, oh my God, my eyes are open. I'm experiencing life, both my own life, plus this life that I'm bringing into the world. Like paint a picture of the dramatic shift that occurred in your world and like how you get to show up as a man in that experience.
1: Yeah. And becoming a father the first time was like the first big milestone. And also around that same time, right before my son was born, I moved from North Carolina to be close to my dad, and actually moved to Las Vegas, which is an interesting uh, piece of the story <laughs> yeah. too. Is I moved to Las Vegas to get my shit together, <laughs> and I did, it, and I did it. and And we had our first son there, and and then three years later we had my second son. We left Vegas; we only stayed there one year. We moved to Ohio, but yeah, moved to Vegas and became a father. And then three years later, became a father times two. And then three years after that, we had twins. My wife and I had twins. And so I became went from not being able to really support myself or take care of myself to having my son and my partner, now my wife, to consider and to provide for and support, as well as the other three children that would be joining me down the road. And also through that process, two in-laws as well. So like my household and my responsibilities over a period of uh, about eight years or so went from one to nine. If I include my mom, I became her guardian as well as her condition progressed to dementia and some other complications. So I really had so much on my shoulders that I had to, that responsibility that I had to show up for, like it wasn't an option. It was like, I had a lot to take care of and I couldn't afford to not be successful in my recovery. I didn't have a college degree at the time. Uh, So I went to go work in the automotive industry and and, um, my last position in there, I was a finance manager and I went back to school because I was always interested in psychology and have always been interested in helping people and uh, have supported people for a long time in a number of different ways in my life as well. So I went back to school and got my psych degree and kind of planned my exit out of the auto industry and eventually found my way into what I'm doing now. And I studied the neuroemotional coaching a few years ago and started kind of exploring that and a little bit of my spiritual journey as well and doing some energy work and facilitating energy work for others. And and all of that was kind of opened up or the catalyst, I would say, what kind of created the space in my life for me to start to ask what I wanted is bittersweet because it was the passing of my mother five years ago where I really felt I was at a place in my life where this new space emotionally and, and physically was created where I could really start to ask what do I want to do? Where do I see myself contributing? How can I show up in service for others and and what really lights a fire in me? And so it's, you know, bittersweet and that it was the passing of my mother, but what's come of that and the space that was created, I feel, I've really done some soul searching and filled that space with something that feels very rewarding to me and supporting others in a number of different ways, one-on-one and, and then what I'm doing every day during the day as well at the treatment center.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. You Mention your chemical dependency counselor and also this neuroemotional coach for men who are listening or anyone who's listening who maybe relate to your story. Maybe they find themselves in a certain aspect of your story. Or just feel a connection to the words that you're sharing. That you're like, man, I, I I would love to learn a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about how you support others. You know, what have you found your specific calling that helps enrich the lives of others on this planet?
1: Yeah, especially when we can talk a little bit about the neuroemotional coaching and how it especially applies to what I'm doing. It's kind of a beautiful twist that with the neuroemotional coaching. In the one-on-one support sessions, really what's happening is helping people understand not only their own nervous systems, and in most cases, working with people that may have hypersensitive or hypervigilant or overactive nervous systems to help them develop new relationships with uncomfortable emotions or trauma situations or historical events that have happened. And so really through emotional exploration and empowering people with tools to help regulate their nervous system can really take a place of disempowerment or not feeling in control and to be able to to help people navigate those difficulties and give them some real practical skills to start to develop new relationships and also new neural pathways in their brains to help rewire some of that hypersensitivity and bring it back more down to, to baseline.
0: And I'm sure it's quite a a complex kind of interaction on this one-on-one coaching that you do. But if you could offer one or two pieces of advice for somebody who's listening, again, maybe they're like, I'm interested, but I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I, I need to hear a little bit more. Like, what is one or two pieces of advice that you could offer to the listeners? It's like, hey, here you go.
1: Yeah, I, I would want to give somebody a little practical tool that they could use. And, and this would be something that if you are feeling overwhelmed, or maybe you do struggle with anxiety or or perhaps panic, maybe have panic attacks, or maybe you get caught in, in thought loops or compulsive overthinking. You know, there's a strategy or a tool called five four three two one that you could employ in any one of those situations to help break that cycle. And really with that practice, you can do this anywhere you could and that's the other beauty of it you could be driving down the road and you start feeling overwhelmed maybe anxious really it starts with taking notice of five things you see So just list them off you know i i see a, a lamp in front of me i see a book i see a necklace i see a painting of a galaxy and i see an amethyst cluster I just go through five things that you see in your surroundings and then four is four things that you feel physically like sensation wise not feelings oh i feel this chair underneath my legs I feel my finger on my temple glasses on my nose and the fabric of my pants on my thighs and then it's going to be three things that you hear i hear a dehumidifier i hear my own breathing i hear could be lights here in electrical home and then two things that you smell so just run through two things that you smell i smell smells a little musty i smell a little musty smell in here so i'm in a garage and i smell a little bit of the shampoo i used on my beard and then one thing that you taste and i taste the garlic from the garlic bread i had not that long ago (laughs) so just Walking through that five, four, three, two, one, that orientation of the senses, it's impossible to think anything other than fully present and walking through those senses and also brings you out of your head or brings me out of my head and into my body. So it's just a reorientation to the body allows kind of an interruption of whatever cycle is going on and it tends to regulate work with your parasympathetic nervous system to kind of just bring you back into presence so that can buy you some time to break that loop and to allow you to employ another strategy to maybe further regulate
0: yeah i love that i you know i try to explain the concept of like just be present in the moment right like just feel total present don't worry about what's in the future don't worry about the things that have happened in the past like where are you right now and that as you were going through the five four three two one i was kind of on this side being like all right what are five things that i see okay and then you know i was doing it with you and it's like oh man yeah that's that's a powerful tool that is uh gold right there thank you for sharing that
1: yeah you're welcome and that's just one there's just a number you know so if that's not your flavor there's there's a lot more but i find that's a great one it works well for me and being someone that as i mentioned earlier when the substances were taken away i had to then navigate through the anxiety that came up or emotion that came up after that and really start to deal with some of those underlying issues. So some of these tools were really beneficial in me and regulating my own nervous system and worked to be able to do that without the need for medication.
0: Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So Nathaniel, if our listeners now want to learn a little bit more about you and what you're creating and offering in the world, how can they find out more about Nathaniel Houghton?
1: Yeah, I would say the best way if they want to have a conversation would be to just book a discovery call with me and explore how we could potentially work together, how I could, how I could support them if they are interested in learning more. I'll always open to messages on, on Instagram or social media. I think I've provided some of that info to you as well. But I'd say uh, book a call with me. Let's have a talk and see if I'm able to support you in your goals.
0: Yeah. And I'll have those in the show notes for anybody who's interested in connecting with Nathaniel from just our conversation here, from both hearing your story and what you've been through and kind of how you move through a very low point in your life into fatherhood, into taking care of your mother and both the bringing in the life and also seeing life passing and how that's impacted you to the season of life that you are right now. So deeply connected to your purpose. It's it's a beautiful conversation to have with you. Also, as a friend, I mean, we've known each other for a little bit of time now, and have, have walked the same circles in this work. And so, yeah, I, I love getting to hear all about this. So, thank you so much for
1: sharing everything you have. Yeah, you're welcome, Angela. It's an honor being here with you, and it's really an honor to be here on the other side of a lot of different challenges, and and feel, you know, I mean, it's it's what I'm here for just to talk about it and kind of show that there there is light on the other side. Yeah.
0: So I want to close with one last thing. I want to invite you into a little bit of a visualization and see what comes up for you, what words come through you and out of you. So I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and take a breath. And anybody who's listening can do this along with us. So I want you to see yourself standing on an open field. Behind you, there are thousands of men and you are about to address the world. You begin to speak, and I want you to finish this sentence. We are the men who...
1: We are the men who step in when others step out.
0: Love it, thank you, Nathaniel, love it. All right. Thank you, Nathaniel. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on the We Are The Men podcast. This is the start of a global movement, and I want to invite you, the listeners, to be a part of it. Go to wearethemen.com to sign up for our mailing list and stay up to date with all that we will be offering soon and learn how you can get involved. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to rate or follow this podcast to help us reach more listeners. And if you know a man who could benefit from hearing this show, please share it with them. I'm Angela Santiago, and we are the men.